Hi guys, Bella here. <laughs> Welcome for the bonfire. Hey guys, Hide and Seek is now on Patreon. If you'd like to learn how to support the work we do, please visit www.patreon.com backslash hide and seek podcast. For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive rewards. Rewards include live events, early access to video trailers, ad-free episodes, never-before-seen videos, behind-the-scenes video and photo content, along with extended and never-before-heard interviews. My team and I would be honored to have you. Again, visit patreon.com backslash hide-and-seek-podcast. Thanks, guys. The views and opinions expressed by guests on the Hide and Seek podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or positions of the host or contributors. Hey everyone, this is Sarah. Would you like to take a more active role in the Hide and Seek community? Would you like to share your thoughts with other listeners? Join us in the Hide and Seek podcast discussion group on Facebook. You can find us by searching Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. This podcast deals with mature topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. Material heard on the Hide and Seek Podcast is intended for adult listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Sweet dreams are made of this. 24-Hour News Aid's Brady Gillum went to Sturgis tonight to speak with the missing woman's mother about what may have happened to her daughter. I can tell you where she most likely is. I hadn't seen anybody that I felt comfortable saying anything to until today. The stories they tell are pretty fucked. They're pretty freaking gruesome. I kept... All the text messages, Facebook messages, the messages between me and Brittany, I have all of them. I have everything. I told him, I said, I'd kill all them motherfuckers, and I was going to have my people fucking take care of it. I'll just say Brittany's name out of nowhere just to see what somebody says. Because this little town around here would be hard to hide something like that, because eventually everything comes out. This is Hide and Seek, Season 3, Part 3, The Final Chapter. I'm your host, James Basinger. Hey guys, in the previous episode, we provided you all with a few pieces of new information. We discussed our recent finding in Sheldon's Facebook Messenger, where we observed that Sheldon had sent a thumbs up to Brittany's secondary Facebook profile we've referred to as the Brittany Keltner account. This message was sent on December 1st, 2018 at 2.27pm. Upon revisiting the message at a later time, Sheldon noticed that it had been read within the same minute it was sent. For the sake of clarity, you don't see when the message was seen until you hover over the particular message you want to know more about. This unexpected discovery surprised Sheldon, Sarah, and myself. This begged an important question. What phone accessed the Brittany Keltner account? You heard Ashley talk about Eric S. finding the back plate to Brittany's phone that she was using at the time she disappeared. Ashley mentioned this in an interview, and Jessica later corroborated it. Jessica said Eric found it in a field while on a small-scale search with Jessica and a couple other people. Jessica mentioned that Eric arrived at the search and immediately separated himself and went to the location where he found the back plate. Once Eric found it, he sent a photo of it to Ashley with a message that reportedly said, do what you do. Also in last week's episode, we noted that Skylar had gone ghost, but we weren't convinced that we needed to speak with him again. Sarah and I were confident law enforcement had taken this lead very seriously, and I wanted to provide them with every opportunity to do what needed to be done on their end. 
Also in last week's episode, we gave you a peek into a future trip to Sturgis, June of 2023. For now, put that on a sticky note and put it in your things to remember folder. Right now though, we'll rewind and go back to October of 2022 for what we thought was our last trip to Michigan. Sarah and I sit down to go over dates and travel plans. I shoot a text to Ethan so I can confirm that dates are good for him. Prior to Shane joining the team, I didn't really have a sound guy, so Ethan recruits his younger brother, Parker, to fill the spot. When I decided to take Brittany's case on in May of 2021, I made the decision very early on that I wanted to conduct my own search in the areas Brittany may have wandered off to. Sarah and I discussed scenarios. What if we lost Brittany to the elements? What if she's still out there? I share my desire to do our own search with Sarah. I tell her I want cadaver dogs with us on the next trip. After discussion, I decided I wanted to visit several properties. Doing this is going to be an enormous undertaking. If you've ever been part of an organized search and rescue, you'll know one of the first questions asked is, have you received consent to search the property? Sarah devises a plan and comes up with a map. In total, we're potentially looking at searching 25 properties that cover a total area of just under 400 acres. Sarah takes the map and searches property records for the names and contact information for each. From there, she starts making phone calls to gain permission for us to search these properties. This project turns into several days of work. Tracking down working numbers proves to be challenging. Tracking down correct numbers that aren't disconnected proves to be even more challenging. After days of phone calls, voice messages, phone tag, hangups, callbacks, and bad connections, Sarah is able to gain permission from 22 of the 25 property owners. One was unable to be reached. One was a no. And one required some special attention. An elderly gentleman who doesn't use a cell phone and doesn't usually hear his landline ringing. Sarah was able to do some of her fancy detective work and figure out where this gentleman was picking up an early dinner for himself one afternoon. And yeah, you guessed it. With the help of the waitstaff, Sarah was able to make contact with the gentleman who was not only impressed, but extremely happy to help. Sarah's batting percentage, 98%. She's a slugger at the plate. She hits 23 out of 25, and it looks like rookie season is a thing in the past for Sarah. It's great work. Coretta Scott King once said, The greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its members. To all of those who responded to our plea for assistance, I want to express my heartfelt appreciation to each and every one of you. To help us in completing the property searches and to fulfill my desire for our own search with cadaver dogs, we needed to organize a list of requirements. What I'm looking for didn't feel like it was going to be easy to find. A highly trained canine search and rescue team with fully vetted professionals and plenty of experience, and they must be willing to travel to Michigan if they weren't in the immediate area. Sarah reached out to her contacts and within just 24 hours, she had assembled an impressive team we were eager to connect with. Before we knew it, we found ourselves on a Zoom call with the founder of the remarkable 501c3 canine search and rescue team. Their mission is to be at the forefront, leading the way as the preferred service provider to law enforcement emergency management, and the entire community. Our encounter with the founder of the organization was nothing short of inspiring. Here's a local news clip of Mike and his team. Peace River Canine Search and Rescue Unit is a group of dogs and their owners who train to find missing people and human remains. Here's Mike. They double as pets and then they work as working dogs on the other on the sideline. It doesn't matter the size of the dog or the breed of the dog, it just matters whether the dog wants to work. President of Peace River Canines, Mike Hadsell, and his dog Nixie are joining other handlers and their dogs for their weekly training session near Mayaka Forest. We shared our purpose with him and after our meeting, we obtained approval from the St. Joseph County Sheriff's Office. We were ready with an exceptional team standing by, prepared and eager to lend their expertise and support. 
In addition to the canine search and rescue team, we were able to secure a published research scientist who's an expert in both forensic anthropology and forensic archaeology. He earned a medical technology degree from Fairfax Hospital, a master's of science degree in forensic science from Virginia Commonwealth University, and he obtained his PhD in anthropology from the University of Tennessee. He's a professor at the Law Enforcement Innovation Center at the University of Tennessee's Institute for Public Service. In 2011, he contributed to the prosecution's case in the trial of Casey Anthony. Did a sample, a carpet sample from that car. No, the, the, the child in that case uh, was wrapped in a blanket. And the blanket is what was stained. And again, granted, it's not a perfect positive control. I mean, thank goodness I don't find all these children in Trump's Objection, calls. Judge. I'm going to move to strike that answer. When you opened the can which contained the carpet sample submitted to you, what was your reaction? Well, first I jumped back about two feet because uh, the odor was pretty strong. Uh, but it, it was, to me, the smell of human decomposition. Human decomposition is very unique. Just like a skunk. You don't need to see that a skunk had been run over to know that it had been. At the time of our trip, he was working on an experimental invention to help locate clandestine gravesites. He received approval for this invention from the U.S. Patent Office in July of 2018. Forensic recovery services use a multi-layered approach to finding graves. This invention is just one potential layer. Are we skeptical? Sure. But who are we to pass up this offer? I'm happy to allow him time to try his invention during our trip to Sturgis. Now, two months before my return to Sturgis, Sarah set up a meeting for us to speak to the founder of the canine search and rescue team we were going to be working with. It was truly an exceptional experience to meet and collaborate with someone as willing and eager to help as Mike. It's refreshing to work with individuals like him. Mike's experience and training is impressive. He's been working in canine training for nearly 40 years, and the canines and handlers are trained in more than 25 different areas. I could see how dedicated he was immediately. I found myself in a state of disbelief, genuinely shocked that all of this was unfolding before my eyes, because not long ago, I was preparing insurance quotes and strategizing how to grow my insurance agency. Today, I'm preparing to search for the lost with the trained professional in the field. As for the canines, they're continually worked on different sizes and ages to give them the widest scent range to experience and keep threshold problems from developing. Canines and handlers have been trained and certified in more than 30 different areas. All team members are certified through NAPWDA, North American Police Workdog Association, along with have taken a crime scene preservation class and have high levels of training on both land and water, as well as evidence discovery and recovery procedures. Lastly, all cadaver team members have to pass level two background check. These teams are all made up of volunteers people who have a desire to share their expertise and help provide some resolution to families and friends of the missing. Coming away from the meeting, I was reminded of an old quote. Volunteers don't necessarily have the time, they just have the heart. I'd definitely say that's true. Traveling with camera and sound equipment might sound like a good time, but... It's not. When we finally land in Indiana after 12 hours of traveling, Ethan, Parker, and I hit the road right out of the airport. We're all tired, hungry, and ready to fall into a comfortable bed. Life on the road during these trips is full of coffee, energy drinks, fast food, and very little sleep. Before Ethan knew what he was getting himself into, it was too late. Plans change without a moment's notice. Regardless of our meticulous planning, our thoroughness, or the buffer time we include in our schedules, things never seem to unfold as anticipated. 
It's a good thing Ethan has a great attitude because let me tell you, this kind of lifestyle isn't meant for just anyone. So here we are, back in Sturgis. Our first stop is with Jessica. The search and rescue team needs a few things from her to begin their work tomorrow. We have a considerable drive ahead of us and it's already late. How you doing, Parker? Good. You all right? All right, we gotta go. We're gonna have to go about another hour and a half to go get Jessica's for the search tomorrow. She did not tell me she was over an hour and a half away. <laughs> it's all right, we'll get it. Hey. Yeah, we're, we're just working on the house. Okay, all right. Yeah, we're good. Let's get, let's get okay. it. Okay. I'll see you soon. All right, bye. Bye. How much do you trust Jessica? One to ten. Ten being most trust, most trusting. Uh. Approaching Jessica's property, I can't help but take it in the scene. I know once we start rolling in the morning, there won't be time to take any of this in. I just took a left on the As the clock ticks closer to midnight, uh, the serene atmosphere okay. of the quiet suburban street okay. feels so welcoming. The tangled branches of the trees above us create a cozy canopy, okay. and the sound of leaves scattering around the street feels like a scene from the Lifetime movie. I'm watching for you. To the right of the driveway, the porch light on the neighbor's house shines brightly. Several cars are neatly parked along the curb. I see Jessica standing there at the front door. She's dressed all in black. She's smiling and she looks happy to see us. And she waves us into the driveway. Later. Hey, how you doing? So. Yeah. How you doing? Yeah. I'm all right. All right. How are you? Don't see my work, fucker. <laughs> Come on, fucker. Or Ethan. Ethan and I enter the front door. Oh, come on. Good. Yeah. And I see a familiar face. How you doing? How you doing, man? I put my hand out to shake Cage's hand. Good to see you. Nice to you finally. Back in October, right. Jessica and Cage were hanging out together. Mm -hmm. Cage is 6'1". He's heavily tattooed, his face included. Each piece of his ink seems to tell its own story. His hair is long and tightly knotted in dreadlocks. He's friendly at this moment, seems supportive of Jessica. How's Cage doing over here? We keep our meeting brief and collect the items requested by the canine team. We say goodbyes for now. It's late and we still have a long drive back to the Airbnb. Hey, you want to go do that stuff? Great. Please do, yeah. Yeah. It's, I it's just wondered if there was any... to the case, right? Yeah, so. I was just wondering if there's any truth to it or whatever. Because, yeah. you know, Val. Yeah. So, all right, you guys, drive safe. Let me all know. Right. We'll See do. See you. All right, guys. See you, Jessica. Bye, Ethan. The search and rescue team and the forensic anthropologist had about a 20-hour drive to Michigan and made it to the Airbnb earlier in the evening. Sarah got him settled in, and by the time we make it back to the house, they're fast asleep. The canines are resting, and we do our very best to sneak in with our McDonald's, trying not to wake anyone. We make sure all of our gear is plugged in before we hit the sack. We'll need to be up and out the door again before we know it. The guys and I get up just a few hours after we laid our heads down. It's incredible how fast time goes when you're here. We're able to officially meet the canine team and the forensic archaeologist. I make a mad dash to meet the dogs. There's two. Good boy, Dutch. You excited? 
I know. He's a good boy. He's good. Oh, he's a good boy. He's a good boy. Our first stop today is Grandma's. I want to say hello, but I also want to share updates and do a general check-in. Sadly, this will be the last time I saw Vicky. On April 17th, 2023, Vicky passed away. While I'm visiting Vicky, the canine team and the forensic archaeologists move forward with their plans to make a few preliminary visits to the areas of interest. While making their rounds, the experimental invention the forensic archaeologist brought continued to direct them to the pasture not far from the crash site. Since the invention he's using is still being developed, he asked us not to share details. We're happy to honor that request. After leaving Vicky's, we met up with the canine team and their archaeologists. We want to hear what their take is on the sites they visited that morning. And I won't lie, speaking to the archaeologist made me feel like I was speaking to a Pulitzer Prize-winning scientist. Have you ever talked to someone, and you're listening, and you recognize the words, but you just can't make sense of what they're saying, even though you really want to understand? That was me. I decided to just do a lot of nodding. The remainder of the day was spent visiting different sites with the canine team and the archaeologist. There was a lot to take in, a lot to learn, and there were moments in there where I felt overwhelmed. Sometimes, I was overwhelmed with all we had to do, but mostly, I was overwhelmed with how far we've come. There were a few times of silence when I watched them working. Seeing something we have worked so hard for come to fruition left me speechless. Just as we finish up at the last site, it begins to rain. Really, not a moment too soon. Everyone is pretty exhausted. We end a long day of researching and collecting info and part ways. The canine team makes their way back to the Airbnb while Ethan, Parker, and I go into town. Not long after we reach town, I get a text from the guys back at the house. It's a picture of a gravestone. I don't understand what the message is implying, but now I'm in a bit of a rush to get back to see what this is all about. I saw that. What is that about? Is this the... This um, is the bizarre. The bizarre. Back her here and killed her. He could store her body over yeah. here until he could come back for yeah. it later. Now, if he did that and there's trace evidence in here, meaning some old blood residual and stuff, we may not be able to find that, but the dogs can find it. Okay, and they will alert on that. It'll stay there for many, many years. Really? Yeah. It'll stay there for a long time. All weather conditions, it'll stay there. It just yeah. pushes it down into the ground and it'll stay there for quite some time. So the dogs can pick this up. So we're gonna really work this area in the morning and okay. see what we have here. That's our first big hit that we, that we found. And then after leaving there, of course we went up here to where the location of the car was and wanted to see that. And of course this area was cold. We weren't getting anything. The only thing was pointing back here to this location here. And then coming down here, I want to check this area. Mark this area to be checked. I'm going to take the dog and run it through here tomorrow just because law enforcement was in there searching. After that, we decided we tried to get some more signals. We didn't get anything, so we decided to go to the other side of Sturgis um, to check to see if perhaps there's a body dump site on the other side. Explain that for, for someone why you would consider well, it could be any other side, but in many cases that we've worked, it's been our experience that they will go anywhere like 10 to 15 miles away from where the kill site was to try to get rid of the body kind of, um, and try to, in their mind, that's taking it away from the familiar area, which, you know, involves some effort. Um, most of the time, a lot of the time, these guys are lazy and they just, like so would put them in that one field that I showed you earlier and just throw some leaves and branches on it and leave, you know, unless they really wanted to try to, to hide the remains altogether. Now we're assuming that she's dead. She could be alive, she could have been trafficked, she could be gone. You know, we don't know, but we're working on the assumption that she's, she's not with us anymore. So we went through Sturgis uh, and we came over to the other side and we had some more interesting readings here. Um, you know, this road called 
road and we started picking up signals out of here. So we have one signal hit, cross hit here on these rings and we'll run the, run the cadaver dogs in here and see if there's anything there. And maybe nothing, it could be something. And then we had another hit on this side over here in this wooded area on this side. So we're gonna go in there and check that out as well. Now this could be, if, if she was killed, these could be places where they take evidence and try to get rid of it. So they just start throwing it here and they throw, they start scattering it out, um, trying to, you know, hope no one will ever find it kind of thing. Okay. All right. And so then we had one other area down here that we wanted to check, and it's along this water ridge here. And so we want to check. We'll come down here on 300, and we're going to come back here and run the dogs along the shoreline here to see if there's anything there. Could he have sunk her body right in this area right here? Yeah, he could have. So okay. we'll check it out and see if there's any if there's anything there or not. Okay. Um, and then the last one that we had, what I call the bizarre one. Uh, so whenever we leave an area, you know, we came down here at 300, hit 700, we come out. Whenever we leave an area, we keep scanning with the device. Okay, and we just left it on. But we were driving along this road here, 700, and got right about here, and the device just goes, and it just went nuts. I mean, this was the strongest hit that we had through the whole thing. Even in the first one? Yeah. I mean, the first one was solid. Yeah, we were like, what the heck? So we stopped here and we took some more readings and it was coming back this way. And we remembered that we had seen a cemetery sign up here. Cemetery. And sure enough, the thing is going berserk and we end up finding um, this this one here. Mm -hmm. They both died in 2018. And they were both buried not not far that far before where she went missing. Okay. And I ran the cadaver dog on it out of the whole of the whole cemetery and the only graveyard, a gravestone that she found an alert on is this one. So we have a, a technique using his device that he can tell whether there is uh, the sex of the victims that are in the grave. And according to what he found, and his experimental is not conclusive, there's two females that are buried in this grave. Uh, so I was asking if she knew anything about family or not. This is the bizarre that we have. How confident is he that there's two females down here? The fact that the dog hit the timeline, but what we need to find out when they were actually interned in this grave. If I look at this one here, now that doesn't mean that they were buried at that time, but sometimes they can be held for a while before they're actually interned. Or sometimes someone go out there and dig and throw a body in on top of another and then bury it back up. Right? Um, usually when they're buried and they're embalmed, we don't get any hits from the dogs. So the fact that the dog is alerting on the grave is odd in itself. Find out when they were buried. One of the old tricks that the mob used to use when they were hiding people is they would go out and they, they would dig the grave shafts for some of these burials the day before, right? And they get it all set up pretty because they're coming in the next morning, right? And put the put the casket now. Yeah. They would get out there the night before and they would dig out the bottom, put the body there, put the dirt on top of it, and then that way when the casket goes on top of it. Nobody knows they're there. Yeah. It's a lot of that that went on back then. Yeah. This could be the same thing going on here. So that's why I brought it to your attention. Because this one's bizarre. It's odd. And my and usually sometimes we hit these things, we don't think about it until I got to the dates and it said 2018. Right. I was like, oh was that fresh man. enough for them to you know, yeah. um, that's the same year she went missing in there. Yeah, so that's when we were like, okay, could we have somebody trying to conceal her in a graveyard or not?
So we're gonna, tomorrow we're going to schedule those other areas to search and we're going to go knock them out. Okay. We're going to spend the day out there doing that. We'll circle back on that. All right. Awesome. I'll Thank you. This up. You're welcome. Appreciate it, man. Odd, right? The name of the gravesite happens to match the name of the property owner who denied our request to search their pasture. I don't put a ton of stock into this, and the situation still seems strange to me, but I will admit, I'm curious. Little do we know. The experimental invention brought the canine team to sites that are all connected. I'm a little skeptical, but we'll see what the dogs turn up tomorrow. It's another early morning in the podcast house. There's no time to waste. So we grab a quick bite and a coffee and everyone piles out the door. Ethan, Parker, and myself head to one of the properties on our long list. Sarah uncovered a story while speaking to property owners, and I'm eager to meet with him and take a look at their land. The canine team and the forensic archaeologists want to move on to the Watt Road area. We split up and go our separate ways for now. Sarah maintained contact with a few property owners. Now in doing so, she uncovered an interesting story about two men emerging from the woods on a private property in May of 2019. When questioned by the property owner, one of the men spoke up and said that they were searching for Brittany. This leaves us to wonder who these men are and what their true intentions were. After some time passed and the property owner was able to speak to others who were present at the time, he reached out to Sarah again, connecting the dots and identifying one of the men as Brittany's husband. Looking at old text messages, he was able to further recall that. When asked what they were doing, one of the men said that he was searching for his wife. Unless Brittany had more than one husband at the time she disappeared, it appears that Eric S. was one of those men. When discussing our plan, Sarah and I both agree this location is at the top of our list. Now that we're here, I make a point to meet with the homeowner as early in our trip as possible. So early the next morning, we make a plan to visit the property. We're pressed for time. So the homeowner shows us around and we head into the house and grab a seat and talk about the story he reported to Sarah. The interview goes well, and now that it's getting later in the day, we wrap it up and make our way back outside. We walk through his pasture. It's raining and raw, and the tall grass is making my pant legs wet. And with every step, there's a shit ton of leaves covering the ground. Trying to search for remains, or really anything out here at this time, would be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Because of the conditions, I realize that searching at this moment is not the best use of our time. We have a list of other tasks that need attention, so I make the call to move on. I plan to share the interview with law enforcement, especially considering Eric wasn't questioned. If I were the detective, I would want to know why Eric was looking in this specific area when there wasn't a search party going on. I'd also want to know who the other male was accompanying Eric. We've already confirmed. The person with Eric was not JJ. I have so many thoughts about what we just discussed with the property owner that the guys and I need to take off and meet with the canine team and the archaeologist. We connect and make our way to the pasture across the street from the elderly man's house where Brittany went to after the car accident. Even though this is my third time being here, I've looked over this area for hours, but we need to cover it again. We have the dogs available, so this is the time to do it. For context, the area is much larger than it appears on a map. The canine handler takes one of his dogs out. It's starting to rain and the wind is picking up. I follow the handler as we track through the trees. The dog is working hard, moving left and right, and then silence. It's almost what I imagined it would be like when I think about walking through the closet in Chronicles of Narnia. The massively tall trees shield us from the wind and act like a giant umbrella from the sprinkling rain. The dog goes back to work. I'm fascinated watching them. I find myself holding my breath again while watching. My hands are clenched in a fist. It's tense. I'm hoping her next move is a signal that she found something.
The dog clears the area. There's nothing. I don't know what I feel anymore. Disappointment or relief. The dog handler wraps up and loads the dog back into the van. Um, when that breathing shifts like that, you want to pay attention. So I'm listening. Really? I'm listening as well as watching. Yeah. Like in that tall grass we ran over there with Dama, when she got into the target area, all of a sudden her breathing shifted, and she got real quiet. And all you could hear was her nose going, going. You could hear her through the tall grass. That's how hard she's vacuuming up the odor when she's in that area. And then she got to one spot, and then she said, "Yeah, this is the spot right here." Oh, really? Yeah. So, unfortunately, in that spot, there's it's so thick with stuff. We'd have to get a crew in here to cut it out. Yeah. And then we have to start pulling soil samples and doing all kinds of stuff to do it. It would take, um, you know, several days to, to get it done. But in that first? That first area over there. So that, that's something we'll have to talk about. Maybe come back in spring and try. Okay. And see if we can do it then. Okay. But let's go to the graveyard and see what we can find over oh, there. Yeah. That one's the one that's burning in my head. I know. I'm really I know. That and see what's going on there. Yeah. Dutch. Here. Here. You it. No, you're not gonna get hit by a car, not today. No, <laughs> you got your chance. Little monster. Let's get him. Load up. Just as we're pulling into the cemetery, I get the feeling of deja vu. And then it hits me. I've been here before. The house that this happened at like um has anybody have has anybody went there to look it up like check it out or anything the house that what happened at or i guess they supposedly cut her up and put her in the barrel that's kimmy jj's girlfriend and this conversation happens just weeks before this incident at the cemetery she wanted to share what she heard at times you'll hear her mom at her own input Well, I've heard multiple houses. Are you talking? Are you, are you referring specifically to Don's? Or are you referring to the glass house? Or are you referring to? I'm referring to it's road. It's you're not. I couldn't tell you off of Google Maps, but I can show you. Like, um, it has a whole bunch of weeds growing up behind it or around it. Okay, it's by graveyard. It's right by the graveyard. He's gonna go around all the road. Yeah. If he goes to the bridge, it's too far. I'm gonna go down. Yep. There's gonna be a church on the right-hand side. Step. Nope, that's not it. All right, stop. Yeah, right down the road there. How are you about to? When Kimmy and her mother were trying to explain this location to me, I wasn't able to find it on Google Earth. What are the odds the experimental device of the forensic archaeologist would lead us here? On top of that, the owner of the property the dog hid on and the gravesite I received a pick from from the dog handler all share the same last name. Kimmy, hold on, don't say, hold on. Oh, shit. Fucking, where are you at? This is what they were talking about. I've been here. What the fuck? No way. That is wild. This is the cemetery that we're fucking going to for this. Kimmy and her mom were trying to get me to understand where this location was. I was like, dog, I don't see a fucking cemetery. His girlfriend was the one that was telling me cemetery, and I kept going on Google Earth up and down the damn thing. I'm, I, I'm not. I, well, so when I pulled in, I was like, "Oh shit!" All right, this is getting too bizarre. For Again, what are the odds? Fuck if I know, but I imagine it's got to be low. We stand back and watch the handler take over with the certified cadaver dog. There's a lot of action, and the dog looks very excited. Oh. Oh. 
It's hard for me to distinguish what I'm seeing, but when she calms down and sits on one spot, I know what that means. And she does it. There's a hit. Here, find more. I'll do this one more time. We've got something. <laughs> the dog handler tells me she's alerted on something. I watch as the machine rolls over the area the dog alerted on. Again, I stand there holding my breath. With every second that ticks by, my natural instincts of questioning everything starts to kick in. We're in a cemetery after all. Could this just be a gravesite the dog is alerting to? I continue watching. It seems like forever. I glance to my right and look at Ethan and Parker, and I can tell they're trying to take it in. Everyone's on pins and needles. I look at Jessica, and she looks like she's seen a ghost. The air hangs heavy with anticipation as time stretches, dragging on each second. There's palpable tension that keeps everyone on edge. He rolls the GPR over the area for one last pass. He stops, and everything goes into slow motion. He looks up at me. I walk towards him. James, there's an anomaly here. We've got disturbed earth going out about three or four feet from here. We've got definitely looks like something here, yeah. which would be the cremation boxes for the two. And then something over there. How far beyond where the cremation do you think? Oh, it starts almost right there and goes back. So I'm not 100%. Yeah. And I'm just saying. Yeah. The only way you're 100% is you gotta dig it up. Yeah. So. She's not hitting on any of those, which means they're probably well sealed, right? And the caskets are still intact and they're well sealed. Whereas other cremains possible that the seals that the cremains are in are disturbed or something's wrong with it and the cremains are getting out and they're leaching out or whatever, that's possible. When they dig these things out, you know, the dirt gets disturbed all over the place here and then they put the grass back in. So that could explain it. It's soft here and then hard, soft, hard, soft, hard, soft, hard right all the way down. So, I can't tell you. But whatever it is, it seems to be more on this side here than it is on, on that side over there. There's an anomaly on the opposite side of the grave to where the casket would be. And no, this isn't presenting as a casket. It's long and narrow, and it's not nearly deep enough to be a casket. My mind's racing with thoughts. I never expected there to be an anomaly. I know they say to embrace the unexpected, but the possibilities that lie in this unexpected discovery makes me uneasy. I want a second opinion. I request Sarah to make contact with the other Mike, Mike from Work Smart. If you recall, Mike completed the GPR for us at Don Hill's house. Sarah takes on the task, and we have a scheduled time for Mike and his team to give us another opinion on the anomalies the K9 team GPR read. We document the discovery and add it to the list of things to share with the detective. It's absolutely bizarre is the only word that comes to mind. That's awful compelling if she's got... I only recognize this spot because I, I went down Google Earth all the way down to those barns and back. I'm like, guys, I don't know what you guys are talking about. And they're saying it's right, right next to the road. <laughs> Especially a new grave, you know, 2018. We just didn't expect. It's like we don't get that. I, I never get that, actually. Integrity. The great British writer C.S. Lewis said, "Integrity is doing the right thing, even when no one is watching." I'm sure you've heard that a few times. Making smart decisions and acting with probity, even when it won't make you popular, isn't always easy. But 
What does it say about a person's integrity when they choose to act without integrity when someone is watching? Months before our trip to Sturgis, we were approached by someone who claimed to have evidence and information. After Sarah had a few conversations with them, we all sat down together via video chat to discuss things and to look over the documents and evidence he gathered. The more we discussed things, the more we realized he had no idea what he had. And more so, he had no idea what he knew. About an hour into our discussion, Sarah and I are awestruck when he casually says, Yeah, I watched Ashley delete Brittany's Facebook account. She was really excited she finally got in. I was sitting right next to her. At this juncture, we decided getting together when I'm in town would be beneficial. We set up a meeting for October. When the day finally arrives, I wasn't sure I was going to make it back to the Airbnb to meet him. The day had proven to be exceedingly busy, with an abundance of tasks demanding completion, ultimately pushing us to the very limit in terms of time. I'm pretty sure Ethan and his brother were white-knuckling it on our way back to the house. I hear police sirens, and I see the lights in the rearview mirror. Just what I needed. This is not how I wanted to end my day. And clearly, I should have been more careful about checking my speed. And I like to say, I didn't think I was speeding. But on the bright side, we were actually pulled over right outside the house. After that whole debacle, we all head inside to sit down and talk. It's always awesome meeting people in person when you've been speaking to them by video chat. Just want to make sure that's clear for you guys so you guys don't have to worry about approach addressing that. Anyhow, nice to meet you, man. Yes, yeah, nice to meet you. Your guys' relationship started during what time? And what? It would have been approximately March of 2019. And it ended in late December of the same year. When I met her, she had three days to get out of the apartment at the apartments there in Sturgis. And uh, she didn't do anything, didn't do anything. And then the day that the cops came to make her leave, they started throwing her shit out onto the side of the road. And I felt pity for her, so I tried to help. And it turned into she just never left. And then it got real bad from there, so. Originally, she went to a hotel. She had a pretty good sum of money on her. Cash? More, yeah, oh yeah. Three to four thousand. Let's get to the time of, after, there's a period in time where in July, we know that Ashley accesses Brittany's accounts, she's admitted it, but you were actually with her during that time and you remember what happened. She was altering things. It, it wasn't just her going through like investigating something. I, I physically watched her delete messages. She, she adjusted things is the only way I know how to put it. Like trying to leave things out, hide shit. You physically saw this with your own eyes. You were there, you witnessed it. What would you recall from that time frame about her accessing? Well, I mean, she got into it and she got real weird. Like she separated herself from me, didn't want me around. Like she wanted a room to herself, which I thought was weird. I mean, why wouldn't I be a part of it? But she distanced herself. But I still had to sleep in that room. And I was in there, and that's when I saw her messages. and During uh, Brittany's messages? Yeah. Specifically, I've always wondered about her conversation history with Brittany. Her specifically. Yeah. Do you recall her in that account? That's, that's the, the part that she spent the most time in. Her messages with Brittany. I know that she was, and it wasn't like she deleted the whole conversation. She deleted messages. Did you ever see what the messages said? No. What position are you in to be able to, to see this? Like I'm laying with my head on the pillow and she's sitting up more on the bed and she's doing this. So, I mean, I can't see exactly what the messages say, but I can right. see the, the profile picture and the name. And did you ever say like, hey, why? Brought up and all it led to was a huge fight. She would not disclose anything. Our discussion goes well. 
We hear a lot of information that's helpful and fills in missing pieces to our puzzle. Tomorrow is our last day here and we need to get some sleep. So we turn in early. Well, early is a relative statement, but it was early for us. Laying in bed, I'm thinking about everything that's gone on this week and the success we've had. All of our discoveries, the new relationships we've formed and the help we've received and seeing my hope of canine searches become a reality. The canine team and the forensic archaeologists leave early tomorrow, and they've been wonderful to work with. The amount of knowledge and experience I've gained around them is priceless. Sarah and I thought it would be wise to set up a meeting with Detective Otten, the detective working on Brittany's case. If for nothing more than to show him what we're working on, and share the work we've done with Mike and Sean from the GPR company. At this point, Sarah and I have gone over the entire case file. We found key discrepancies and important testimonies missing. We want to make sure we share this with him. He shows his support and says to keep him in the loop until we arrive. Once I'm in town, Detective Otten comes to our Airbnb and we meet with him for just over 90 minutes. It's a good introduction for all of us. We were able to share everything we planned to and made plans for future conversations. This line of work can sometimes jade you, weighing heavily on your spirit. It has the power to sow doubt in your mind about people's intentions and hidden motives. It can make you question the existence of genuine and trustworthy people. However, this week has revealed a glimmer of hope and reminded me that goodness still prevails the unwavering dedication of the K-9 team, the meticulous efforts of the forensic archaeologist, and the cooperation of the property owners, business owners, and citizens of Sturgis have left an undeniable impression on our entire team. Their selflessness and commitment to a family most of them have never met proves that compassion and kindness can prevail. Even in the face of sorrow, grief, and uncertainty. Would you like to show your support for the Hide and Seek podcast? Find our Instagram and Facebook page by searching Hide and Seek Podcast. Like and follow to hear updates on past seasons as they become available and stay up to date on season three. Find our discussion group by searching Hide and Seek Discussion Group on Facebook. The Hide and Seek podcast is hosted, directed, edited, and produced by James Basinger. Written, edited, and produced by Sarah Joe. Engineered, mixed, and mastered by Nudon's Audio Engineering. Director of Photography is Ethan Schatz. Our graphic design is created by Jordan Robinson. A special thanks to all those involved in our ground team and to our Patreon supporters. Thank you for helping make our investigations possible. Thank you for listening to Hard to Sink. Peace out.